Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby, and today we're looking at externalities, factors that cost you or benefit you, for which you make no contribution or for which you bear no blame. Can we cost more of these externalities and should we so that the rightful recipients receive the money or pay the money? If a new railway station pushes up your house price, should you see all the benefits? If a new airport pushes the price down, should you get compensation? And what about public services? If you use them, should you pay more? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. Well, on the face of it, public goods are a good thing. We all need roads to get around, so it makes sense that the government builds and maintains them. A village green looks a lot nicer than selling off the centre of a community to developer. And, you know, what's England if you can't sit down having a pint, watching a game of cricket, rather than looking at a block of flats? But how far do you go with public goods? If you had a public field, for example, uh, it could be overrun if we allowed people to uh, allow any cattle to graze in it. If everyone's cattle grazed in it, we know the field would turn to mush. We know roads are overrun because we offer no charge to use them. Seas are overfished without quotas in private hands. We are concerned about the sustainability of our assets. If they're public, we're open to abuse because everyone wants what they can get out of it right now. Isn't that the problem, Steve? Yeah, well, that's actually one of the classic papers in economics. There's a paper called The Tragedy of the Commons, which raises the issue you're talking about. Mm. It says, basically, if you if you have a resource which is publicly owned, uh, then everybody has a private motivation to overuse it, and therefore it'll be degraded and it'll collapse. And when you look at this historical argument, it's completely wrong, because if you go back and take a look at periods where there were commons, uh, the society itself had its own rules. It wasn't, wasn't uh, if anybody was over over farming a common area, then they were very promptly pulled off it. So there was a social control over those public areas, which a capitalist economy, or rather somebody coming from a completely private uh, market-oriented perspective of how society could function, can't understand because as far as they're concerned, unless there are ownership rights, there can be no other form of control. Mm. But there were in those societies quite, quite strong forms of control. So as a, as a commentary on pre-capitalist uh, commons, it was a very poor argument. Well, I can give a much more recent example of that. I, if anyone's been to Cooper Pedy in, in Australia, uh, which is uh, on the, the long road from Adelaide up to up to Darwin, and I don't think there's any regulations, or historically there were no regulations there. Anybody could go and mine. You just dug a hole in the ground. The danger was that, uh, you know, you, I think there was one rule that was you couldn't mine within so many metres of the road. Other than that, go for your life. And mm. um, I think the control, because I asked someone about it, you know, was uh, was pretty much that uh, just don't go, you know, too close to your neighbour. And if you do, you'll have a bit of a Barney. And if it's not resolved, then uh, you'll probably get your head kicked in. Uh, and <laughs> that was pretty much the control they had. Uh, somehow, 
they managed to uh, to manage it. I'm sure the biggest and uh, toughest blokes won at the end of the day. So maybe it's not the best model, but it but it you know they didn't overmine. But then you also get you know, the the small group guys getting together and uh, you know five get five five small blokes against one thug, mm. big thug. At, I think we just described the Outback Bank of Australia pretty well, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. Well, even <laughs> maybe even Australian Parliament. Um, <laughs> But that—that's um, the level of social control that existed in, in those pre-capitalist societies. I mean, your Cooperpedia example is one of building up even when people are there just to dig stuff out of the ground and flog it. They—they mm. uh, they still develop a society which imposes controls. So I think the tragedy of the Commons argument was false when you applied it as a historical argument in favour of what was effectively the enclosure movement that got rid of all those common lands and turned them into private ownership, which is a large part of the formation of English capitalism. But I think it's an extremely valid argument when you apply it to what's happening on the on the economy, on the uh, interaction of the economy with the ecology overall. Yeah. We, have, we have treated the ocean as a place where we can all dump because nobody uh, is saying you're dumping stuff on my, my piece of water as opposed to land. Uh, we have over-farmed the, the, the fish stocks that exist there. So we have the, the cod wars, the, the, the classic collapse in cod population. Um, and we, we are treating the planet as a commons and we are degrading it. And uh, but, but at the same time, the whole idea that you can have ownership of the air or ownership of the, of the water uh, just doesn't make sense because, of course, things on water float. And, um, you know, the fact that we're dumping, you could have all the controls you like, but who's going to own the Sargasso Sea and charge us for putting... How are they going to charge us for dropping a, a plastic bottle top in uh, in the, the Thames uh, when it ends up in the Sargasso Sea? They're just the, the price mechanism doesn't work. You but have you to can price more than we are doing, though, can't you? So, for, so if we look at you can. You can road extent, pricing yeah. is an obvious example. If I use my car more, why shouldn't I pay more? Because in a way, that is a public good that's provided that gets overused. The more roads we build, the more it fills with cars, the more cars there and, are. And then, on and the then yet you get, and then you get the income distribution problem, which of course Macron exposed dramatically. What was it last year? now when he decided to put up uh, oil prices mm. for that reason fundamentally it was an ecologically argued tax that we should tax uh, diesel kicked off all the riots yeah it kicked the riots because at that stage is and as i, I love an expression by one of the uh, gilets jaunes on this front they said that they're worried about the end of the world i'm worried about the end of the month and the reason being because with the incomes being as low as they are and as fragile and those costs, the cost of transportation, you're not driving for the sheer pleasure of being on the road, you're driving to get to work. And suddenly you find that the increased price of using that common resource uh, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the per capita uh, or per mileage usage uh, fee means that you can't, when you, you, your cost of getting to work means you, the wage you bring back doesn't cover your cost of living anymore and right. bank would rather go on a riot than well that's because he prices. did one thing without the other i mean you could quite easily i mean you could introduce uh road pricing where you you know the more you drive and the if you're driving a heavy goods vehicle the more you pay because you're causing more damage to the road that means your business will incur more costs or people will pay more to get mm -hmm. to work but if you're you just have to say well okay we'll we'll fix that by people on lower incomes we will give them more benefits or less tax well what we push with one hand will take away with it with the other hand and the, the the people who are really paying will be the heavy users and if it's a you know and if they're damaging the uh the environment they should be paying more for it yeah but uh, i mean the whole idea that you can actually price them to a level of environmental damage and that's 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 the main issue we're talking about here i mm. think and uh this is the neoclassical fantasy again that uh, we can solve everything using the price mechanism so if you look well, at it's the not just the environment i'm talking about the getting the asset the road asset 
where people are paying for it based on their usage of it. And I'm just wondering whether, because otherwise with a public good, you could always just say, well, we're just going to pay and everyone gets equal access uh, and you all, you all pay into it, whether using it or not. And we've got this feeling now, haven't we, that it should be a bit more user pays. I'm not saying it's necessarily the well, right I, I, approach, I, I, but you I'm, can do I'm it in actually, Yeah, I, I, I think that that can actually be uh, lead to social dysfunction rather than social function, I think, because um, one of the arguments in favour of public uh, public transport, for example, is that it, it's actually not the individual user who's benefiting out of the transport. It's the, the company that the person is going to work for that's, that is getting that benefit in the long term. It's, it's very hard to bring it down to why is somebody travelling? Are they travelling for the fun of travelling or are they travelling because they've got to, get to go, mm. and go and work? 90% of the time, it's the latter answer. Uh, if it was just, you, you're, if, if everything was individual, if your travel was for your individual needs, then individual pricing makes sense. But if your travel's because you literally have to travel to go and work, and then you have uh, you know, a wage which means you can't afford to pay the cost of the travel to get to work, then you, you get a breakdown. So we, a mistake is to see everything in terms of individual paying for services received by the individual. Right, but, it, but doesn't it pa get passed on? So if I'm a company in London and everyone who uh, works for my company has to pay £35 a day, which is how much it costs from farming to London um, at peak time, then um, then you, you, you're going to demand more from your employer. You're going to say, look, it's costing me thousands of pounds uh, a year to try and get into this job. You've got to pay me thousands of pounds more unless you want to move to Leeds. Uh, which doesn't happen, which doesn't mm. happen. So it's an argument saying let's provide a form of transportation which is publicly publicly charged. We all pay for it publicly uh, and minimise. So you, you know, rather, rather than having individuals executing mass transport, have the society executing mass transport. And uh, there are you know, you know, strong arguments in favour of, of saying there are some services which should just be, should be provided at the state level uh, and not paid by the individual. They're paid by the you know, taxation systems or by the monetary creation capabilities of the state. Um, when you put it down on the individual, then it only works if the income distribution is, is okay. And I, I don't think even a neoclassical economist would argue at the moment the income distribution is fine as it is. So in this user pays approach, I mean, I, 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 one example is in Australia, which is a crazy example, isn't it, where private schools get government money because state schools get public money. And, and the, the argument there is, look, I pay my taxes. I, I choose to send my kids to a private school. Why shouldn't the government subsidise me? Uh, and uh, rather than everyone in the UK, no government money goes to private schools whatsoever. It's states. It all goes to state schools because that is the, the public good. Yet Australia's got this history where this idea that, uh, yeah, I pay, therefore I should benefit. The opposite almost of a public good. Yeah, I know. And uh, I mean, again, it, uh, and like in the taste of education, I, one thing which I find uh, dispiriting is the extent to which privatising education has meant that people who would otherwise mix and get to know that somebody who's uh, come from Pakistan, uh, you know, ends up being your best mate. Uh, even though you, you're a, 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 you know, the white tribe in that part of England, uh, that breakdown, that, that metal of, of, of the formation of weak bonds doesn't happen anymore because you're going to separate schools and then bang, you meet on the streets later and it's riot and fight rather than, rather than social cohesion. So there are many areas in which the whole idea of pricing and privatising everything 
uh, leads more to social breakdown than it does to the, the, the nirvana of a, of a properly priced economy. Mm. Which, which is the which is the that that priced economy is the approach we certainly are following with education, isn't it? You know, the, yeah, the, yeah. the argument that education enables us to get a better job than if we had no education. So we should get a loan, and then we should pay back that loan because we are going to reap the rewards. Yeah, and then what? That again, this is something which is taken in isolation from everything else. That argument that the, the individual benefits that the individual pays, uh, of course, is ignoring the fact that uh, the, if a person gets a, becomes a doctor, you might have your uh, your you know your leg doesn't get uh, uh, you, you hang hang onto your leg after an operation rather than losing it. Uh, it's a it's a public benefit, and what you get again the the, the, the one way in which I will ad- admit the sense in the neoclassical argument about uh, public versus private goods is that if you do have a good where there's benefit that goes beyond the individual who receives it, then it'll be undersupplied. And uh, if you just leave it to the individual, and that applies to education, it applies to transport, uh, it applies to to health. There are so many areas where we benefit uh, from what is also a benefit for the individual, the rest of society benefits as well, or what is a benefit for society becomes a cost for the rest of the world. That is a realistic issue in a market economy. We have to find a solution for it. And the solution is not uh, just to make everything priced, which is the neoclassical fantasy. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you have to say that thing is better off if it's free uh, for the individual. But what about when it is a cost, though? So let's let's say, for example, uh, I drink too much alcohol, I get drunk, I... Uh urinate on the way home and that's going to be cleaned up i might get into a fight and the police get involved all of these are costs because i drink too much so do you answer that do you say well okay there's got to be some sort of if you could if there was a mechanism to say well okay we're going to put a quota on how much you can drink or we're going to charge you proportionally more based on the number of drinks you have per night uh you know if there was a way of pricing it in should you do something like that where the societal cost is greater as a result of your actions I'm still trying to get over the vivid image of you drinking too much and urinating on the way home. <laughs> Come on, we've all done it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not for a long time, I hasten to add. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I mean, but you know what I'm saying. There's, there's yeah, things yeah. like that. Or, or people who, uh, and this is a bit more contentious, people who uh, eat too much, and I appreciate there's a lot of people who are overweight because of medical conditions and also, you know, you don't know their, their background, uh, which could have driven them that way. But, you know, uh, you know, you got a, a, a neoclassic econo- economist who's trying to charge for everything, price everything, should say, well, OK, you should have a tax based on your surplus calorie intake each day. Well, that's also example. the case with smoking, for example. That's yeah, a, a another great example. The, the reason why cigarettes cost as much as they do is not the cost of production of cigarettes, but the taxation imposed is a, to make a to try to discourage people consuming it. Um, so there are elements where, yes, you, you do want to make something more expensive because of the impact of individual behaviour on, on the remainder. Uh, and in those cases, the... the um, social controls we often come down to a legislative. So, for example, you drive without a seatbelt, you are going to get fined if, you, if you're seen not having the seatbelt on. Uh, uh, pricing it on that basis uh, after the event uh, is just not going to work. So you have to, you, you, again, you have to have legislative controls and that sort of behaviour. But often the okay in terms of cigarettes consumption, the, the me- one of the mechanisms we try is to make it more expensive. It hasn't been all that effective in stopping smoking, but it certainly has played a role. Mm. I'm uh, I'm moving house and buying a house and we're going to do it up. Uh, I spoke to my new neighbour 
uh, the other week who said uh, it's going to be nice that, you know, someone else is doing their house up in the street because the better the street, the more everyone's property value goes up. I should have asked him to uh, to chip in on the cost of doing up my house because he's going to benefit from it. <laughs> well, this this is the Henry George argument about land that uh, the reason you should be taxing land as a as a source of uh, uh, taxation revenue rather than other forms of taxation is that that's one of the classic instances where you benefit from what other people do, and uh, the, the capital the increase in the capital gain you get comes out of not of your work but of somebody else's. So you shouldn't be the only recipient of the capital gain. So. A uh, guy called Ronald Coase, I don't know if you have the problem of social cost. He wrote this back in 1960. He is an interesting uh, quandary uh, that you've got a railway that emits sparks that could burn a farmer's crop stand. Have you heard this? Yep. The question, the question is, who, who pays for it? If it costs $1,000 to control the sparks and the lost crops are worth $2,000, who should pay? Yeah. And, and even if the and, law sides with the railway, the farmer is still going to say to the railway company, "Look, I'm going to I'm going to pay you to control the sparks because that's going to be cheaper than the two thousand dollars worth of crops I'm going to lose." Yeah, yeah. So there are points in which the the benefit and the cost aren't or aren't entirely lo- no, located in the individual purchaser, whereas mm. the model of economics we have just looks is is, is so, if it is applicable at all, it's a situation in which the purchase and the uh, the, the the cost and the benefits are incurred by the by the person paying and don't affect anybody else. Uh, that's Maggie Thatcher's. There's no such thing as society, but of course there is. So. Uh, we have to cope with it. We can't bring everything down to the price mechanism, everything down to ownership. But this is trying to relate it all to a price mechanism, isn't it? Where I some, know, yeah. Someone, yeah. someone else is causing damage for somebody for somebody else. Should they pay for it? Just as I'm, you know, in my argument, I was saying, well, I'm actually going to help somebody else. I'm going to, should they pay me? But, yep. but on that, on that, you know, that flips the other way, of course, with that railway. If the solution cost two thousand dollars to stop the sparks and the cops are only worth one thousand then the railway company would uh, <laughs> pay the farmer one thousand dollars to continue the sparking his, yeah, yeah. His cops. yeah yeah i mean these things ultimately these are little these are textbook examples that don't work in the real world mm. and like we're getting a classic instance of that right now in california with the with the pga the uh the power authority in, in California, which is a privatised institution, uh, is being blamed for the scale of the fires that are occurring in California right now. Not not solely because the major cause behind them, the severity of the fires, is just how much drier the, the part of the uh, world is now, courtesy of increased you know, winds due to global warming. Uh, but they're, they're now shutting down uh, power access to millions of people at a time uh, because literally of sparks. And... And you see, do you think there's there's no way the price mechanism solves this? And in fact, having a, a, a privately owned company which was uh, un, underdoing maintenance has been accused of underdoing maintenance. I better better say, uh, for the last twenty or thirty years to increase its profits. Uh, that that behaviour of shifting the costs forward into the future will terribly sorry to say the future ultimately arrives, and people are now saying we want to bring this. Uh, private institution back into public ownership and make sure that in future it uh, it does proper maintenance so you don't get as many of their power substations sparking and causing bushfires well i guess you know if you're starting to price everything you 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 have to price absolutely everything 
because yeah, and it becomes impossible. It becomes impossible. Mm. You simply have to set standards ultimately, yeah. and um, and this is the again the fact that it just again the textbook way of looking at the world is inadequate. The world is not as simple as a textbook. Thank God. Yeah. Um, and yeah. in that complex, more complex world, you have to have a mechanism other than just the textbook mechanism of a price system. And it is the complexity, isn't it? Because I was thinking uh, you were talking about uh, you know smoking in bars for, as a as a for example. If you so if you had two bars right next to each other and one of them allowed smokers in and the other one didn't, I would go into the one that didn't allow the smokers. But then if they were to say, well, we're going to charge you twice as much for a beer in here, I'd be thinking. Well, it's healthier, but am I prepared to pay twice as much for a beer? Because, mm. uh, you know, at least if I get ill, um, I've got the NHS <laughs> to help pay. <laughs> so I'll take the cheaper beer for now, unless the NHS didn't exist. And then that would influence my decision as well. I'll go, I might get cancer. That is going to cost an absolute fortune to or other medical complications that I simply can't afford. So I'll pay more now to avoid the smokers. Yeah, I um, mean, again, it just that that sort of example shows how crazy it is to go on the whole idea of price. The price mechanism is the only way to solve all the problems of a society. Um, uh, it, it is, it, there is certainly an argument in favour of some pricing to reflect uh, public costs for private benefits, but ultimately you have to realise you have a society as well and impose some controls, uh, some rules in that society too. So, for example, the the, the blanket ban on 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 smoking in restaurants. Um, in uh, in the, the whole of whole of Australia, you know, Australia is one of the first countries to do it. Yeah. Simon Chapman, an old friend of mine, was a major uh, campaigner behind that. Congratulations, Simon, on a brilliant campaign. By the way, just be, the, the reason Australia was so successful in reducing smoking smoking faster than the rest of the world was one of Simon's ideas for a campaign, and that was all the imagery. And you'll see it on on cigarette packs. You know, you see lungs cut open and all this awful stuff that happens out of smoking. His campaign was. Uh, kiss a non-smoker, enjoy the difference. And it had two people kissing a <laughs> strawberry uh, as the image. And that was a very effective way of reducing smoking overall. Right. But if you're a smoker yourself, you perhaps don't notice it. That's the... Uh, but the... I, I, I tested the theory did, in fact, work. <laughs> I did. <laughs> How many people did you have to kiss for that to happen? Oh, uh, I've had, I needed a large sample. <laughs> so um, I think what we're saying in all of this then is that uh, pricing really doesn't work. Regulation does and maybe... No, a combination of the two. I think it's, 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 you, you, you simply... Again, the neoclassical thing is always to get rid of regulation, just have price mechanism. Right. Um, but as, pricing as, for negative benefits rather than uh, yeah, positive you have a, benefits. You need, yeah. a, you, need a, you need a couple of – you, you, you have to recognise – I'm not going to be able society. to ask my next-door neighbour to pay me for <clears> the house because <throat> of the benefits I'm going to create. We're not, we're no, not going, no. And in the example of that, you know, building a railway line where all of a sudden you know, new stations open – you can't go charging all the owners for the houses they've already bought. Well, then that sort of situation, you can potentially do that. Like the Elizabeth line, is that the name of the new line opening yeah, up in yeah. London? Eventually. Very, very slowly. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, the, that one, one of the uh, elements of that is to say you would tax the capital appreciation caused by the increase in home in price in house prices uh, near the stations than mm. the Elizabeth line. So that sort of thing, <clears throat> pardon me, can be, <clears throat> can be nice. One of the ideas of the, the Georgist ideas about how to uh, stop people getting a, pri a private benefit out of a public uh, a public good 
Right. You smoke, and it makes yeah. plenty of sense. All right, okay. Well, there's, so there are individual examples. You smoke, you're coughing so much, by the way, because you've been kissing all of these smokers. Uh, I have, that's right. Well, yeah. that's, I did stop the research some time ago, but these things have time lags. <laughs> it does. It takes a while. So, okay. So finally then, just how this obviously relates to, to the climate. So, because the, 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 the whole, you know, I know you're not a big fan of pricing in carbon emissions. No, I mean, partly because I'm a neoclassical economist by having that fantasy, first of all, that you could do using the pricing mechanism, but more importantly, the fantasy that that uh, a four-degree increase in global temperature will only reduce GDP by 4%, and then they're wondering why politicians haven't done anything about it. Uh, we've, we've, we've delayed by two generations of humans uh, the our response to climate change, and there's no way the price mechanism is going to do it. You couldn't put the price up enough to have people innovate and make enough non-carbon-based power systems to to uh, to reduce the uh, the carbon dioxide load Why on not? the planet. Why? I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that the model... It'd bankrupt the everybody. Mod- right, the, the, okay. the price you'd need would be a couple of thousand dollars per tonne uh, minimum, and, and then at that point, well, bank capitalism comes to a screeching halt. Uh, We've we've got to the stage where it, it won't be the the market movement that gets the through us. If we get through it, it'll be um, quite possibly militaristic society, militaristic control um, coming our way. So I think uh, the fantasy that the price system can solve everything uh, is not the only reason. The main reason I think is the the nonsense they've written about the, uh, the trivialisation they've done of the cost of climate change. Uh, so they've under they've drastically understated the costs, but the whole idea you could do it with the price mechanism as well would have been true 50 years ago. By delaying us for 50 years, there's no way the price mechanism will will, uh, will achieve the change that's necessary now. So given that it is a complex, you know, all of this is a complex system. Economics is a comp- the, the globe is a complex system. The idea that you price in some public goods, trying to recuperate, trying to put a price back, and trying to recuperate the cost, is that just a is that just a nonsense then? Because f- there's always side effects and repercussions. Yeah, well, you have to look at the side effects and repercussions. And on that front, uh, I recommend, I've, I've actually said if I can put it up on the Patreon website, but there's a, a very short talk by Jay Forrester uh, and by and by one of them, I was Sturman as well, where they explain that, that the sort of linear thinking that people get caught up in is cause and effect. And they, you have, here's the cause, here's the effect, how do we change the cause and minimise it? Uh, sees that as an isolated problem, but everything in a complex society is linked to everything else. Mm. And you have to have a systemic way of thinking about that, which is what system dynamics attempted to provide. And uh, so the, the trouble is, again, it isn't just the, even the, the, the focus on the price mechanism. It's seeing all these things as isolated from each other when they're systemically interconnected. And in that world, you need much more than just a single mechanism. And there's some things you can't just put a price on, obviously. So in the introduction, yeah. I mean, you know, there's nothing more quintessentially English than sitting on a village green watching a game of cricket. And yet mm. that land is right in the centre of a village, uh, ripe for developers to stick an apartment block in, even though it would destroy the village. But and we don't allow that and, to happen. And, yeah, and the village, the village. I was actually back in Australia involved in a similar battle over uh, land around the Cooks River, mm. uh, which we lost, by the way, the local council in, in terms of losing part of the land for a sporting complex. But that, that, that way in which communities would come together to defend those common elements is quite remarkable. And uh, I think, again, that's... That's one area where uh, leave the price mechanism out of it. That's language people are better to solve at a social level. You know how important it is to have that 
and if you uh, that 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 common land and if you have the thought of you know the the land is going to become a bunch of 15 story high rises or you go and fight to maintain it as a cricket field the public turns up and fights for the cricket field. Yeah, and they would. And I live in a town where you can't buy fast food because the town council has, uh, for, for a long time, well, since fast food emerged, have said we do not want any fast food outlets. Uh, huh. It's not very healthy, and everyone is really happy with that decision. I can yeah, yeah. You. There's something you keep out of the market mechanism. So, yeah, there's, it, it, we do, we don't just live in a market economy. A market economy. We live in a complex society with the market as is a, a major part of that. And the neoclassical thing is always push everything into the market. There are some things which work better when you actually. Uh, do it in a collective sense, and we have to get the balance right. And the whole, well, you get get to realize that there is such a thing as a as a as a as a, as a spectrum, rather than saying everything has to be pushed at the end of the price mechanism. Yeah, and I guess I mean the reason why I wanted to hold this conversation was was because we are in a position where we can price more because of technology. We could, mm. for example, see where you are, where you're going, how far you've driven. Uh, we we could track all of that. We've got cameras every bloody where now, even if we didn't have mm. any tracking mechanism in your car. But I guess the uh, and and that will be very tempting for economists, won't it? The fact yeah. that we could price everything, but the, the fact they, that we could they, doesn't mean we should. But they, they they can say who's actually doing it. You can't say why they're doing it. And if you have somebody going off to you know go have a drink at a pub, okay, that's the personal personal benefit. Personal uh, cost should be imposed. If they're going off to work. It's a different story, and uh, we that that particular thing we, you know, it, it, it again the the price mechanism to do everything becomes an incredibly complicated mess, and sometimes you have to say what is the best is the best means to provide this in a collective level, say, in for example, public transport, or is the best way to do it totally private, uh, which you know, in, in terms of like you know, alcohol consumption and paying for paying for alcohol, you never want to have publicly subsidised alcohol. So there are areas where you have a you have to do, make a relatively intelligent decision as to whether something is better provided at a public level or a private. Mm. And if we get too detailed, we get lost in the detail and we lose the big picture. That's ultimately yeah. it, isn't it? Mm. All right, very good. We will leave it there. Interesting discussion as always. Good to talk, Steve. Good day, mate. So maybe the answer of uh, keep it simple, stupid, is the solution to all of this. Although next week we're going to look at uh, maybe the opposite, uh, economic complexity. We're going to look at uh, how you can tell the potential growth for a particular part of the world based on the complexity of the economy and its ability to uh, bring together many different industries to grow exports. We'll look at that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve King. I'm Phil Dobby. I'll see you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.